0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring Out the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, JT dunn Gooder with us. JT, how are we feeling?
1: Feeling pretty good. I'm excited about where the cats are and where things stand. And then also the fact that it's not going to be like 20 degrees at kickoff on uh, Saturday. <laughs> so, so I was a little worried about standing in the freezing cold for that, but it looks like it's going to be a nice day. So yeah, for it's, sure it's going to be a good day all around.
0: Yeah, Kansas State, really impressive win over Baylor. So now all that stands between Kansas State, of course, and an appearance in the Big 12 championship is a win over KU, which, you know, might not be as easy as it is usually. And, and typically, KU week, honestly, we, we bring in like a Kansas State writer to kind of talk about how K-State's doing because it doesn't seem worth it to, to talk about Kansas. But this year's a little bit different. Kansas is built bowl eligible. You know, they're, they're six and five coming this one. So we brought on 24-7 sports writer Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, how you doing?
2: Uh, doing great, guys. How are you doing?
0: Doing well, doing well. I Appreciate you you coming on. You know, we're trying to show KU a little respect by having you on, but you know, not <laughs> Dude, too much. Just respect. the bare minimum, amount. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I th- I think Kansas can actually thank Kansas State for its full eligibility because it seems like Kansas State sort of broke Oklahoma State, and that was the you know where KU got its win, <laughs> it got the six and five. But you know, I went back and listened. I think you were on a couple of podcasts before the season started. And like most people, you know, I, I don't think you expected KU to, to get here. I know after, I think after the Houston game, you were on a podcast saying like, if Jalen Daniels can keep playing like he is, then, then KU can get the bowl ability. But you know, how surprised are you to see KU being in this position at this point?
2: Sure, yeah, it's the Las Vegas over <laughs> under. I think was two, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, I. I I thought they were probably a little bit better than that in my season preview. I think I said three, and I said there's a coin flip game with West Virginia where if Kansas gets that, they'll get to four. And they won that coin flip game. It was an overtime game against West Virginia. And I think a Houston team that a lot of us thought was going to maybe be a double-digit win team, and Kansas really wasn't going to to have much of a shot to go down to Houston and come away with that win – for whatever reason, you know they really didn't start off the year that well, and Kansas went down there and, and got a double-digit win, and, and Jalen Daniels was playing really well at that point, and then you come back home, you've got Duke, which I think a lot of us thought they would beat Duke. Duke is now bowl-eligible as well, and then you beat Iowa State in sort of one of those Iowa State games that they've had about 35 of this year. Where you know it could go either way, and and Iowa State just didn't quite have enough offense in that one. And all of a sudden, Kansas is five and zero, and college game day is coming to town for the game against TCU. And you know, against TCU, the first half, you know, Jalen Daniels suffers a shoulder injury. Kansas, you know, keeps it close but winds up ultimately losing. And then, you know, you had a few games there where Kansas was—I don't want to say even keeping it close necessarily in terms of like it being something where you felt like Kansas should win, but they kind of hung around, right? Like the Baylor game is a good example of that where Baylor gets up big. I think everybody kind of felt like the game was over, but Baylor turned the ball over a few times. And next thing you know, Kansas is down five in the fourth quarter, needing a stop to kind of win that game. And they wind up getting the win against Oklahoma State to get to bowl eligibility. But that's a really long answer to say. (laughs) If you're asking whether I saw this before the season, no, I didn't. I I absolutely didn't. I thought Jalen Daniels would be good this year. I didn't think he would be, hey, through four games, he's on everybody's Heisman Trophy list for the early season, good. And, you know, that makes a huge difference because I think that, you know, your team can rally around a guy like that even when you are, you know, maybe flawed in some other spots. And so, you know, Kansas was able to get those five early wins and and then sneak out the one against Oklahoma State. Actually, you know, kind of tore up Oklahoma State to get that sixth one. So it's been a little bit of a surprise for sure.
0: Yeah. And quick side note, I feel bad for Iowa State fans. I don't know if you guys saw Bill Connolly posted, like if they had – even an, an average offense, they would be something like it was last year's offense, maybe it was, the, but they would be yeah. like
2: six in the SB. Plus.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. I, I saw that. I did Tough. see that. Yeah, it's,
2: it, it's just brutal. And, and it's one of those things, you know, I, I know you guys have been following the Big 12 for a really long time. You know, there was a deal back in the Mangino era where KU had a specific quarterback, and I, I won't name his name because. <laughs> He doesn't deserve slander, you know, 17 years after the fact or whatever, but he had a, a habit of making just like the most devastating possible mistake in a close game. And so they kept losing all these games and you felt like, my gosh, like how did they lose that game? If they only had competent play there, they would be winning a lot more games. And it feels like that with Iowa State this year, where you can always point to one play here, one play there, another play here. And, and just an incredibly unlucky team. And maybe, you know, wouldn't you say it's probably the best, like, last place Big 12 team that we've seen in a really long time?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, just as evidence of that, like, I was probably going to be in the Big Ten championship game. And I was. They beat them. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, uh... for sure. And, I mean, they hung around with Texas. They hung around with Kansas State. You know, I mean, they've been pretty good this year for not actually – that showing up in the wins and losses it's been wild to see
0: yeah no question and you know I, th- I think talking about Kansas we have to start with you mentioned him already Jalen Daniels you know and he was the guy that even his true freshman season at Kansas you were like oh man this guy seems a little bit better than your typical KU quarterback and I think K-State fans are a little bit worried but you know he like you said he, he took another leap this year what has he done to kind of get to that next level
2: Yeah, he started to show it at the end of last year, and they wanted to redshirt him last year, but you guys remember the K-State game. (laughs) You know, (laughs) K-State knocks out Jason Bean, and then Miles Kendrick comes in, and he gets knocked out, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're really short on quarterback options, and so Jalen Daniels goes out, you know, closes out the game. Kansas State wins by, you know, 80 billion points. And then the next week he gets the start against Texas because Kansas, you know, Jason Bean had suffered a season-ending injury at that point, Miles Kendrick out for the season. And and so he gets the start against Texas, and, you know, Kansas winds up scoring 50-some points, you know, wins in overtime. And you looked at it and said, man, that was pretty impressive. The next game against TCU, Devin Neal gets hurt at half, and they still wind up losing by a score in Fort Worth. And then they lost, I think, to West Virginia by a single score in Lawrence to end it. But I think over that time period, those three games, Jalen Daniels ranked, you know, either first or second or third in, in the Big 12 over those three weeks in quarterback rating, completion percentage, and touchdowns. And so he was starting to show this, I think, at the end of last year. And so a lot of us thought that, hey, you know, this may be a little bit something different for Kansas at quarterback but you didn't know, right, because it's a small sample size. Guys can come in for three games and find success, and then, you know, you never hear from him again. But, you know, he was really good in the opener. He threw an interception that he admitted he shouldn't have thrown. And then against West Virginia, he winds up, you know, out-dueling J.T. Daniels, you know, over the course of that game and, and winds up, you know, just taking off. I think the accuracy is a little bit better. I think the thing that stands out about Jalen Daniels when he's healthy, and I'm sure that we're going to talk more about that point, but when he's healthy, there's nothing that he really leaves on the table. And what I mean by that is he's got a legitimate NFL arm. Like he can make all of those throws and he can really flick the ball and and it comes out with just tremendous velocity. He can make every throw. And yet he's also a guy who's athletic enough that – Kansas, you know, ran a ton of triple option in those first few weeks. And so there were a lot of different things they could do because he had that combination of arm and athleticism. He's also, you know, one of those really kind of emotional leadership guys. And so when he's feeling it, when he's hopping around and excited, the entire team feeds off of that. And so I think that it was a combination of him maybe polishing some things up, getting a little bit more accurate, but, the tools were just, they had always been there to some extent, but I think that they really popped, you know, starting first game this year, maybe even back to the last few games of last year.
0: And so you mentioned the health. So on on a scale of one-legged Bo Nix to 100% Jalen Daniels, <laughs> where was he versus Texas and where do you expect him to be this
2: weekend? You know, I, I think he's probably about 70%. And I think that when you watched against Texas early on, You know, Keelan Daniels is a good decision maker in the option game, generally speaking, and Kansas was running, you know, those little, you know, read plays, and he was giving every time, even as Texas was sending, you know, all 11 guys at the running back where everything screams at you, hey, this is a keep. This is not a give situation. And after about the third time of him giving, you know, in that situation, you're saying, okay, He's not misreading this. He's just not going to carry it. And, and so I don't know if that was him, if that was a dictate from the KU staff where they said to him, hey, you know, you're not giving this ball up. Don't put yourself at risk. But it was something that definitely hurt them because Kansas wasn't going to beat Texas. They might not have beaten Texas anyway, but Kansas wasn't going to beat Texas with Jalen Daniels not being able to do the things that he does in the running game as well as you know, standing in the pocket and making the throws that he could. And so I think that's really the big question for Kansas heading into this one is, was that a one-week thing? You know, does Jalen, after taking some hits last week, does he feel a little bit better about carrying the ball? Is Kansas going to continue to be really careful with that? And if so, do they adjust that at all? Because I'm guessing K-State's going to watch that same tape and say, okay, Jalen's not running the ball. You know, even yeah. when it looks like he might keep it, you know, go ahead and sit on Devin Neal, and so it'll be interesting to see if KU adjusts that at all, or if that just is what Jalen Daniels is at this point the season with his health.
0: Yeah. So JT, if you're a Kansas State, you know, defensive game plan, how, how do you prepare for that?
1: Well, I'd I'd have to, you know, agree with Kevin there. Like, I it you'd probably just go hard on on Neal and and the running back. And just hope that, you know, Daniels is a step behind or still a little leery of, of running the ball with his injury. And, you know, you catch him on the outside or you make sure, you know, a safety is still keeping an eye on him. But but really the, you know, the primary focus is on the running back. I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, at this point, if Daniels isn't 100 percent, if he's not even 90 percent, you know, r- really, is is there not a benefit to keep? Jason Bean in the game, right? I mean, he's not a terrible quarterback, I mean, right? He's... It's not like well, Jay- you know, Jason Bean. I made a reference himself, to uh... oh, okay. he is okay. Yeah, so yeah. Bean see, I, I made a reference the to of
2: the uh... game. yeah.
0: I was gonna say sorry. Just I made a reference to, to oh, no. Oregon Bo Nix earlier. You know, because I live in the Pacific Northwest, as <laughs> so I work with a couple Oregon fans, and I don't know if you guys stayed up and watched Pac twelve after dark. You know, yeah. Bo Nix was in there because they brought in their backup for you know, one play and for some reason they decided to call a wide receiver end around and it turned into a fumble strip fumble and touchdown for Utah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I agree with JT. You know, what's the scenario barring an injury that they would put Jason Mean in there?
2: Yeah, so Bean did play at the very end against Texas, but I mean, you're talking like right, that's the game was over. Time. He was no. yeah. yeah, the game was over. He was handing the ball off, like he wasn't at, at risk at that point. But he did the sort of game sealing fumble against Texas Tech. He did take a shot and and got replaced in that game by Kansas's true freshman quarterback Ethan Vasco and I definitely do not think that Kansas would like to see Ethan Vasco take the field, you know, in Manhattan with all of the things that go along with that with that atmosphere, you know, a lot of times, you know, even on a beautiful day as you guys know, it's it tends to get a little windy in Manhattan as well and and I think Kansas likes Vasco, you know, for the future and, and as a developmental guy, but there's a big difference from hey, this guy is promising for the future to hey, go out and win a a Big 12 game at a place that Kansas hasn't won seemingly since the Reagan era. And so I I think that when you look at that situation, I thought, you know, my colleague Michael Swain, who covers Kansas, put it really well during the Texas game. You just don't have choices, right? Like, your choices are Jalen Daniels, you know, who can't run, Jason Bean being limited himself, or putting in a true freshman. And I think, obviously, you... You hope that this week things will be a little bit different. Maybe Jalen feels a little bit more comfortable. Maybe Jason Bean, you know, feels more comfortable. And if Jason Bean is back to 100%, maybe it is the sort of thing where he gets the nod, you know, fairly early or if not even the start against Kansas State. But I think at this point, you know, an injured Jalen Daniels may, as crazy as it sounds, be, you know, kind of Kansas's best option.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the other thing about this is, you know, you mentioned Devin Neal and preparing for him. It's not like it's K-State would be just preparing for him just because he's the running back and a, and a quarterback that can't run. Like Devin Neal is a legit running back. KU leads the conference in rushing yards per carry, which is kind of amazing. And it's because Devin Neal is averaging six and a half yards per carry. I mean, has, has he lived up to expectations? I know I've heard you on a podcast talking about him as a, as a potential NFL running back.
2: Yeah, yeah, he has. And, and I think, you know, we knew that he would be coming out of high school. You know, he was that kind of player. He's bigger back in terms of the way that he's built, you know, kind of a thicker guy, but also, you know, pretty explosive. I mean, he's got some speed and some bursts for being as thick as he is. He can also catch the ball out of the backfield. And so he can do a, a lot of different things. The two weeks before the Texas game, you know, he ran for over 200 yards, against Oklahoma State in that win. And then he ran for, I think, 190 against Texas Tech. And he had, I think, 100 receiving yards against Oklahoma State as well. So, you know, if you just looked at those two weeks and, again, small sample size, you know, you would have been hard-pressed to find any other running back in the country who produced at that level. Now, obviously – he needs the offensive line to play better than it did against Texas. And the offensive line has been significantly better this year overall. And And they were pretty good against Oklahoma State and, and Texas Tech when he did those things. But, yeah, I do think Devin Neal is a really high-level running back. And, and I think it's instructive, too. I mean, Daniel Hyshaw got hurt so early on this year. But Kansas brought in Kai Thomas and, and Savion Morrison, and all three of those guys were four-star recruits coming out of high school. And Devin Neal has kind of jumped out and been the number one guy. It hasn't been a timeshare, you know, over the last few weeks. It's been Devin Neal's job. And so I think that that says quite a bit about it, too, especially, you know, given that Kai Thomas, I think, what, ran for like 800 yards last year at Minnesota. So, I mean, he's he's a proven Division one player, and he's still, you know, not getting the carries that Devin Neal's getting at this point.
0: And JT, I mean, we should talk about, and I think earlier I said Baylor I can't say actually for Virginia last week, but they have, but the point is they, they've done a lot better against the, the rushing game the last couple of weeks against Baylor and West Virginia, shutting those guys down. So what kind of improvements have you seen in the, in the rush defense for Kansas State? What do you think about oh, that going into this weekend?
1: Really, I think it felt more like the Texas game was more of an aberration really than, sure. you know, what we had been used to up to that point and since. A lot of that is Texas game. They lost Julius Brents so early. I mean, it was what like the first or second play from scrimmage, and you're losing, you know, a, a future NFL player at cornerback. Like that, that's going to hurt, yeah. and it screwed up yeah. the whole game plan. Similar,
0: before. similar to how they lost Daniel Green TCU, and that kind of screwed everything yep. up in that game.
1: Yep. Yeah, and so. With Brents in the game, and we saw it a little bit against West Virginia, they had some issues with the safeties over top. But really, if they can trust the back end, and they and they've been able to trust the back end in every game except for that Texas game, then you can you can let the linebackers you know free reign to go go get the running backs, and it they can fire in a little bit more without having to worry about dropping in his own coverage. And that was really the adjustment they made then in the second half against Texas. They're like, you know what, screw it, we're just gonna stop Bijan and Roshan Johnson, and we're not going to let them run over us and let, you know, force Ewers to try to throw it past us. And so I think that'll probably be a similar, you know, thought. They're like uh, against KU, you know, stop Devin Neal and then force who's ever at quarterback to try and throw past the K-State defense. And that's seemed to work well so far. I mean, the only game that really, I mean, they struggled at times early on against West Virginia before they they buttoned things up a little bit. Of course, they struggled a little bit against TCU towards the end, but, you know, TCU's gotten so darn lucky, and, you know, it's hard to say, you know, whether it was injuries or, and of course, they lost Julius Brents for part of that game as well due to injuries. So, yeah, if it were me, I'd focus on Neil, force the KU quarterbacks to try to throw past the K-State defense one-on-one and, you know, adjust as as needed from there.
0: And then, you know, the that, other that thing about that passing Kansas has, it seemed like a, a pretty balanced attack at wide receiver. And, you know, I think the last time I really watched the KU game was against TCU, where it seemed like everybody was just trading spectacular catches. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've obviously got some dudes that can make plays. You know, what do you think of the, the wide receiver core this year? Who should case that? People watching out for? Yeah.
2: Out. So they don't have like a legitimate number one guy, right? Like when you play TCU, like, you know, Quentin Johnson is getting the ball and you have to look out for that dude. And, and And Kansas doesn't have that guy, but they knew that going into the season. And they said, hey, we're going to have a pretty good group of wide receivers if it's just sort of guys taking turns. If it's a third down play, it's not that all of them need to get open. It's not that, you know, one guy needs to beat coverage to get open. It's they can find one player. And so you kind of see things spread out a little bit. And even big plays have spread out a little bit. Quentin Skinner is the best downfield threat. I don't know yeah. how Kansas got this guy as a walk-on. I, I he really was the guy who really made don't. some
0: spectacular catches against TCU, right? Yeah,
2: I mean. yeah, and he's and he's right. six foot five, and he's one of the three fastest guys on the team. And my understanding is, as far as speed on this Kansas team, if you were to line everybody up for say a week and make them race, Jason being Trevor Wilson and Quentin Skinner would basically trade off days in terms of who would be the fastest guy on the team. And and so he's in that discussion and he's also six five. And so there was a play, I I think, you know, on the first drive against Texas where they got Skinner isolated and and were able to to get the ball downfield and and he had him beat it. It would have been, you know, a long touchdown, but Daniel's just left it a little too far out there Skinner couldn't quite pull in the diving cat and Kansas wound up hunting, but those are a lot of the plays that he's made over the course of the season is being able to get downfield and then getting him against some of the matchups that they want to get him against. LJ Arnold is more of a possession guy. He was uh you know, bigger bodied type person, contested catch. You know, he has some run after catch with him, but that's not what he does as much. And then Luke Grimm, you know, was a really good Mm -hmm. receiver in the Kansas City area for a really long time, you know, from his sophomore through his senior year of high school, I feel like. And he's kind of their third down guy, you know, on third downs, he's the guy you got to watch out for. And then They've got a pretty good group of tight ends. You know, Jared Casey's had a really good year as kind of a sniffer or move guy. You know, as a blocking guy and also as somebody who can go out and catch the ball. He actually hurdled a Texas player last week. Which, if you've seen Jared Casey, I mean, it's imagine you know somebody built like a trash dumpster hurdling somebody. <laughs> it's like mean, when it, Chase it, Kaufman loved to
0: hurdle from Missouri, uh, right?
2: Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It's it, it's it's hysterical to see it, and so they. They've got to, and Mason Fairchild's a good tight end, and so they do get the ball to their tight ends, and they aren't afraid to throw to those guys down the field either. And so it's not really a a one-man operation or a, hey, you know, we've got to stop, you know, Xavier Worthy for Texas, otherwise we aren't going to win this game. But they do spread the ball around pretty well to those guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then the other thing I want to talk about, the KU offense, I mean – You've got an offense that leads the conference in rush yards per carry and also leads the conference in fewest sacks allowed, only eight sacks allowed all season. And part of that, I'm sure, is having mobile quarterbacks helps. But how much credit do you give the offensive line for those stats?
2: That group has probably improved more over the last two years than, you know, maybe any position group that I can remember. Maybe the one group that I can think of, and I realize I'm dating myself a little bit here, but... In the early Mangino era, you know, you had like Banks, Floodman, and Nick Reed, and those guys, and and they were kind of running around like chickens with their heads cut off a little bit, <laughs> like when they first got out there. And then the next year they came back, and, and you know, Kansas was really good defensively, and they were a big part of that. And, and Kansas's defense made a leap, you know. At at the same time, Kansas's offensive line last year in the very first game could not move an FCS team. And that's not an insult. I'm saying that's what it was. In the first game, they got absolutely destroyed up front by an FCS team. And by the end of the year, you know, they're blocking Texas. And, you know, they're blocking TCU and and blocking West Virginia in those games. And so they improved a lot over the course of last year. They brought back four starters from that group. And, And so they're a very experienced lineup. They landed a guy who is a senior transfer from Division Two, Dominic Pooney, who's been a really good sort of plug-and-play guy for him. But no, they've been pretty good on the offensive line. They're not like a dominant group, but in terms of you're not going to come out of that game and say, I, I didn't watch a ton of, of Kansas State-Texas, but I know Kansas against Texas, Texas's offensive line occasionally would just wipe out, you know? part of the KU defense you're not going to see that from Kansas's offensive line but they are pretty assignment sound they don't usually you know make a ton of mistakes and, and so they're they're a pretty solid big 12 group I feel like and honestly it's been a really long time since you could say that about a Kansas offensive line
0: I think JT we don't need to talk about what Texas's offensive line did to Kansas State so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, yes anyway all right let, let's talk about the part that that might be more fun to talk about from a kansas state perspective and that, that's the kansas defense and uh we'll take a commercial break first here from our sponsors we're back so yeah that, that kansas defense has been um not as great i guess <laughs> as the offense let's start with news Vaughn, you know last year ran for 162 yards three rushing touchdowns he also caught six passes for 70 yards you know what's stopping him from doing that again this season?
2: I don't know that it. I, I don't know that there's a ton stopping him from doing it again this season. You know, last year I actually, I worried he was going to run himself into some cramps. You know, with how much he was, <laughs> with how much he was running. But now it's, it, it's one of those things we talked earlier. You know about Kansas's rushing offense, and you feel like if you run for 201 yards a game as Kansas is, you're probably going to have a pretty big advantage there, right? except that Kansas is allowing 190 yards rushing per game. (laughs) And so it's not the advantage that you would think and or hope it would be. And they're coming off, quite frankly, getting absolutely shellacked against Texas. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, you can say was offensive line. Some of it was B. John Robinson being B. John Robinson. But the thing about the Kansas defense in general is, you know, usually – defense is try and take something away, right? Like they say, you're not going to run on us or you're not going to throw on us. What KU takes away is just, or tries to take away, a lot of times unsuccessfully, is they try to take away the big play. It's not necessarily that they say, hey, we're going to buckle down and you're going to go three and out. It's we're going to try and make you execute over 12 or 14 plays on a drive And at some point, either we're going to have a negative play on your offense and that's going to put you behind the sticks a little bit and or you're going to make a mistake. And there are some games where Kansas' defense was absolutely sort of shredded and they stayed in the game anyway because of those mistakes. The Baylor game was one of them. You go back and look at what Baylor was averaging per play, that shouldn't have been a close game and yet Kansas was there at the very end in part because they were able to force Baylor into some longer drives, even at eight or nine yards of play where all of a sudden, you know, Baylor puts the ball on the turf or they make a mistake here or there and Kansas winds up having a chance to win. And I think that's the tough thing about playing against Kansas state. And obviously you guys would know significantly better than I would, but Kansas state is just so disciplined. And I think it's almost a recipe for disaster for Kansas in terms of having that strategy and saying to K-State, you know, okay, well, we're not going to put eight guys in the box. (laughs) We're going to put guys deep and, you know, make you move it down the field and execute in the red zone. And K-State's going to say, okay, and they're going to execute in the red zone. (laughs) And so I I think there's not a lot necessarily stopping Deuce Vaughn from having another big game in this one. I
1: was going to say, that – that strategy sounds like a good way for the KU safeties to get beat a lot in the open field. <laughs> but sure, sure. Breaking some ankles.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's for, you that's know, of exactly for what happened against Texas. That's exactly what happened against Texas is stuff where, you know, there was one of Bijan John Robinson's touchdown runs, the nickel corner who was actually kind of the edge guy got sucked in just a little bit. And against even some of the better backs in the conference, against like Reese at Baylor or, you know, against somebody like Miller at TCU, maybe he could have gotten back outside, but it was Bijan Robinson. (laughs) And so Bijan took that for a touchdown and and took it to the house. And so I do think, you know, that's one of the challenges for Kansas is – Kansas State's going to give the ball to Deuce Swan. They're probably going to give it to him in a variety of ways. And Kansas hasn't really shown the ability to stop that kind of player at this point.
0: Yeah. It's just the same that Gavin Potter's not around anymore to get his ankles broken. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh,
2: I, I was going to say, you guys, are you guys in need of more, uh, more gifts and memes at this point? Or? <laughs> uh,
0: JT, I, I do wonder if, you know, uh, we, we've talked about this before, Will Howard being the better passer, you know, makes the Kansas state's offense better in a lot of ways, but you know, you look back at like the Oklahoma game and you think, well, could Kansas state have won that without Adrian Martinez. And is this type of game where maybe Adrian Martinez's running ability would be a better thing to have against Kansas. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's I tough. Think, you know, it's, I, I yeah. think,
1: I think K-State can win with either, either guy. Under sure. For this yeah. game. Like that's, you know, they they play a different style and that's fine. I still think at this point of the year that Will Howard gives K-State the best chance of winning and winning out cuz he he just brings that that other dimension. He opens up Malik Knowles and Philip Brooks and Ben Sennett and it forces the defense then to not be able to key on Deuce and then, you know, in that that read option game. But Adrian's, you know, he's fast, he's electric and against a team that that suffers against running quarterbacks. Like, I thought Adrian was actually going to have a really good game against Baylor because they're also, mm-hmm. you know, not great at rush defense, or they hadn't been up to that point. And they'd struggled with mobile quarterbacks anyways. And, you know, and then he gets hurt, and, you know, Will Howard just lit it up anyway. So, and Will Howard can run. I mean, he ran a couple times against West Virginia, did what he needed to do. You know, he, he'll take what the defense gives him. So, uh, you know, I think if, if things start to open up, He's going to get the green light to just take off, and especially if Adrian's slightly more healthy, or if they feel a lot more comfortable about where Jake Rubley is, you know, I think they'll give Howard more of the green light to just say, "Hey, if if that you know bubble zone is open and and you can get ten yards with your legs, just go do it and don't worry about it." So I'm going to say I'm going to ride with Will Howard, but yeah, I, I would be comfortable watching Adrian Martinez play against KU this week. Yeah. Assuming he was healthy. Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, you know, so Kevin, the KU defense, though, you know, they do have some guys. Kenny Logan Jr. has, has made a lot of tackles this season, and Lonnie Phelps is only a sack and a half behind King Felix, you know, here at Kansas State. And so what kind of individual guys does KU State need to look out for defensively?
2: Yeah. And I, I think Craig Young is a really interesting talented guy who doesn't pop on the stat sheet because they ask him to do so much. You know, as a linebacker, he's a guy that Kansas will stay in a 4-3 base instead of putting extra DBs out there, and they'll just go ask Craig Young to go guard a slot receiver, and he's been able to do it reasonably well, and, you know, part of that is he comes from Ohio State. He's an Ohio State transfer, the type of guy that you know Kansas would not typically get. He's a linebacker who ran like a ten five hundred meters in high school, so he's a really speedy guy. Rich Miller is probably their biggest you know tackling machine type guy, and Kobe Bryant is really fascinating to watch. I feel like because he's one of those guys that can have a bad game and can, you know, maybe not be playing the best and then come up with a really big play and a really big moment. He was the one that had the pick six to seal the West Virginia game. And he's had a few of those plays like that. He's a pretty talented corner, but the way he plays is kind of on that edge of a knife, right? Like there may be a play or two against K-State where maybe he's lined up on Malik Knowles and maybe he gets beat. And you know he's not having the best game, and then he could also be the type of guy that that jumps an out route in a really key situation. And so, he's maybe their biggest big play guy. I think one of the reasons the defense is better than it has been, even though it's not you know good by Big Twelve standards, is they don't have as many weak spots as they traditionally have. They're better as a group. Like their defensive tackle group, they feel okay playing five or six guys there. And I can't remember the last time that was the case for a Kansas team where you subbed out one of your starting defensive tackles and actually legitimately felt okay about whoever was coming in to replace him. And so I do think that, you know, there's a lot to clean up. I'll I'll be interested to see, you know, they brought in a couple junior college pass rushers in last year's class. And those guys haven't been playing, a ton this year, but both of them were sort of future developmental guys as opposed to guys that KU thought, hey, this guy's going to come in and start and be an All-Big 12 candidate. And I think they saw potential in those guys down the line. And so I think projecting Kansas forward even beyond this game and and looking into the off-season, I would guess that even with Kansas returning so many players next year, that they will hit the portal fairly hard for defensive guys to try and clean some things up and try and get more athleticism on that side of the ball, because that's still an issue at this point.
0: Yeah, and just to be clear, Kevin, you said not good by Big 12 standards, but they're not good by any standards. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. They're solid
2: solid by Kansas standards, and that was what what I meant. They they are improved from where they have been. You know, there have been Kansas teams, and I'm not telling you guys anything that you don't know, but there have been Kansas defenses over the last decade where I feel like the defensive strategy heading into games was probably legitimately – hope to God the other team tackles themselves and trips over their own feet, you know, or or something like that. Whereas, Whereas I do think, you know, Kansas generates the odd stop a little more often this year than what they have in recent years. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so just to drive the point home, kind of what we talked about with the offense and the defense, in the latest SP Plus rankings on ESPN, KU's offense is ranked 13th, and the defense is ranked 102nd.
2: So, yeah, and the and, and the and the 100 second know. isn't one of the worst marks in the last decade. Yeah. Like, that's, the, that's the amazing thing. You're sitting here, and, you are know, saying 100 second, and, and there's somebody on the other end. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah,
1: what you're telling me is if you combined KU's offense and Iowa State's defense, you'd have a, a oh, playoff yeah. team, probably.
2: Yeah, yeah, that 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 team would be unbelievable, and I I think. It would be interesting to see Matt Campbell and Lance Leipold both yelling at officials at the same time though
1: <laughs> if they
2: teamed, if they teamed up on the coaching staff cuz I, I don't know how much you guys have watched of Kansas this year obviously Campbell's you know infamous for it but mm-hmm. Leipold certainly likes to uh do his fair share of ref screaming himself so that would uh yeah. and he actually got flagged for it against Texas so <laughs> Yeah, that, that yeah. would make for uh, make for an interesting pairing for sure.
0: Well, Campbell fits right in at Iowa State. That's kind of their thing.
2: So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I when I used to cover Texas, I told one of the reporters that I said because we were going to cover a Texas basketball game in Ames, I said you've never heard so much booing in your life, and they were like, oh. <laughs> They're like, everybody, every fan base boos. And then we get there, the game <laughs> finishes up. And he was like, no, you were right. Like, they booed everything. Like, Yep, that's that's Iowa State right there. Yeah,
0: yeah. But the other thing, actually, looking at this SP Plus ranking is Kansas is ranked 129th in special teams. So how much of a concern is that going up against, I mean, admittedly, Kansas State team that is not as good as they normally are at special teams. But, you know, it's still Kansas State. and The special teams are not bad. So, well,
2: yeah. And you and you look at, you know, how many I'm not saying that KU would have beaten K-State in the last decade. But you think about how many times over the last mm-hmm. decade special teams have broken a game open for Kansas State against Kansas it's where 2020, you know, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> hanging around just a little bit. There's like that little like ray of hope. And then, you know, all of a sudden Kansas has to pond and, you know. And yeah, you have just absolute catastrophes out there. No, it's a major concern given that Kansas hasn't really been a threat in any of the return games. But it's also a major concern in that Kansas's field goal kicker got pulled last week after missing a field goal that I think made him seven for thirteen on field goals over the course of the season. And you have to realize, like Kansas is not sending these guys out there typically for fifty-one yarders. Like they're they're mm-hmm. kicking, you know, when they when they absolutely have to kick it so they wound up making a change at kicker the new kicker didn't have to kick a field goal he did knock an extra point through so that was I guess a good thing in his favor but they also replaced their punter in the middle of last game and so I'm not sure if that was you know the the sort of thing that is going to be a permanent deal where hey we're going to see Kansas on Saturday with a new kicker and punter or if it was the sort of thing where they just pulled them for that game. But obviously, your special teams are not necessarily looking the best when you're replacing both your kicker and your punter in game 11 of the season. hmm. Mm mm-hmm.
0: would be interesting. That'd, that'd be nice if they were to kick the Philip Brooks and actually let him, you know, return some punts.
1: That's the things
0: <laughs> have happened. <laughs> when that happened. But, yeah. can't be so as that's, bad as
1: West that's, that's Miles, like, just punting to him for no reason like eh, we're, we're down and
2: we're still going to punt to him and, well, the, and the worst and like,
1: oh there's kick return number two well and the, wor-
2: the worst part is you know I don't know if you remember like not only did he not kick it out of bounds he kicked it to the wrong side Yeah. so like he, he kicked it where KU's defense was like all you know KU's defense's special teams were like all going to the right and he kicked it to the left where basically he's catching it and there's nobody in front of him I mean Mm-hmm. that was pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's, not step back a little bit, talk a little big picture. And Kevin, I know, I think you focus a lot on recruiting and I think I've heard you talking about this a little bit before about how, you know, Lance Laple basically doing anything as far as local recruiting would be an improvement on his predecessors. Uh, but, but, so how much should, should k be worried about KU becoming more of a competitor and? recruiting some of the Kansas guys.
2: You know, it's fascinating because Ryan Wallace and I both, we help rank the guys in the state of Kansas. You know, we don't have the final say, but we basically send them a list, say, hey, this is who we think is the best player, the second best player. And our national guys, they have the option to say, that's terrible. We're going to move these guys around. Or they have the option to accept it and say, okay, you guys are right. Let's keep it pretty similar to that. And one of the things that Ryan and I have talked about is Kansas has some goodwill built up through the state. And what I mean by that is when there's a player out there, like within the last 10 years, even if KU wasn't recruiting him locally, if K-State didn't recruit him locally, people were not mad at KU for not recruiting him. Because they said, well, KU doesn't recruit locally that much, so what's the big deal? And that high school coach would be mad at K-State and would say, well, you guys are supposed to recruit Kansas kids. Why aren't you recruiting my Kansas kids? And that's even with, you know, Taylor doing a great job and, and them doing an unbelievable job recruiting the state of Kansas. But there are definitely some people, you know, like that who look through the state, who, you know, you look at the fact that Kansas State has a chance to pull John Randall in this class, there are other running backs in the state who's, Coaches feel like maybe K-State should be offering their running back, you know, and they don't have the – it doesn't seem like they carry the same animosity toward Kansas for not recruiting that guy. And so because Livehold and those guys are starting to recruit more locally, because they're putting in more effort, they're starting to build relationships, it's almost like they start off a little bit ahead because everybody says to them, well, KU has never recruited locally, or at least they haven't really since Mantino, you know, the fact that these guys are showing any effort at all, it's like they get extra credit for it. (laughs) But, but you look at, you know, you look at the 2023 class, which I think is, it's the best and deepest recruiting class that I can remember in the state of Kansas. And and I've been looking at, at classes in state probably since 2003, 2004 or so. So, I mean, it's, it's a terrific class, and Kansas doesn't have a single player from in-state right now. But mm-hmm. Kansas has done some work in 2024. When you look at BJ Kennedy, went to three Kansas games this year and grew up a Kansas fan. You know they were quick to offer Caden Massey in 2024, who now has a Kansas State offer as well. You know the offensive lineman out of Linden, and so. They're doing a lot more, I think, in 2024, and they've got some other in-state offers out as well. And so it hurts them that they're not really in play for the top guys in 2023. I think maybe the best guy that they would have had a chance with was... Calvin Clements, the offensive tackle who's committed to Baylor, the Lawrence Free State, he was a guy that I think really came down to Baylor or Kansas. And Kansas is right in there, but he wound up choosing Baylor. He's visited Kansas since choosing Baylor. So I guess a flip is maybe a possibility, but generally speaking, you know, Kansas doesn't have a guy in 2023. They're looking a lot better in 2024. Kansas State has been terrific in 2023 and it's a result of the relationships that they've built you know over the last few years and also if we're being honest you know it's also part of the fact that kansas state has been the better in-state school you know there have been recruits just a little bit yeah just a little bit And and so and so the the kids have said you know kansas isn't really necessarily an option for me but kansas state is if i stay locally with Kansas going to a bowl this year, with them having a little bit more success, I'm interested to see where 2024 goes. Just in that, do some of those guys actually see Kansas as a legitimate option, you know, as opposed yeah. to just saying, hey, if I'm staying in state, I'm going to K State because that's it. That's the only option at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, speaking
0: of the 2023 class, I do want to talk about a couple of guys. Sure. First of all, What do you make of the the Dylan Edwards situation where he committed to Kansas State, then flipped to Notre Dame, and now he visited Kansas State in early November? Like, what's happening there?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting deal. Dylan is a very charismatic guy, and I, I like Dylan a lot. I give him a lot of credit, actually. We went down and saw, I think the last time I saw Dylan in person was actually when Derby lost a really close game to Mays. And after the game, you know, our Notre Dame site had wanted some quotes from him on Notre Dame and stuff like that. And so a lot of times coming off a loss, kids don't really want to talk. And I I don't blame them, honestly. It's it's a tough deal. As as someone who covers high
0: school sports, I know know exactly what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And and Dylan stopped and, and answered all the questions and everything. And I had a lot of respect for him. It's kind of funny. When I was down in Texas, I went, to cover one of Miles Garrett's games because Miles Garrett was impossible to get on the phone as a recruiting guy. And Miles Garrett, they lost. He saw a couple of us recruiting people walking up to him after the game and he sprinted towards the locker room so that he didn't have to talk to us. And, you know, the guy that I was with kind of joked around. He's like, man. He goes, how fast do you think he's going like four or five or so, you know? And so we we joke around that we knew Miles Garrett was destined for greatness. And we saw how fast he was running away from our potential interviews. But now the Dylan Edwards thing is interesting because I, I do think, There was so much pressure on him with him being a legacy and and all of those things, and he's always loved Kansas State. I I don't think there's any question about that. Even when he chose Notre Dame, I still think that he loved K-State and and loved the coaches there and and things like that. After picking Notre Dame, I don't want to say there were second thoughts or anything like that, because... I've talked with Dylan about Notre Dame, and he seemed excited about what his potential role was and and different things like that. But I think K-State is kind of that first love that's always going to be there. And and it's interesting, you know, I don't know that I could make a commitment to what I was having for lunch when I was 17 years old, you know, much less, you know, make a decision that would be impacting the rest of my life. And and I think that you know, there's maybe some grace required there as he figures these things out, but I don't think it was ever one of those things where he was like, I'm done with K-State, you know, I'm Notre Dame all the way, you know, K-State can go kick rocks. I really don't think that was ever the case. And I think, you know, some people maybe had issues with the way that they felt things were done or communicated or not communicated, but at the same time, I do think, you know, if if Kansas State, you know, if that's something that they want to continue to pursue with Dylan, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to to hear that that Dylan wanted to continue to hear Kansas State out. Like I said, I he's been high on Kansas State throughout the process, even before committing to K State, even when he had other big offers, if you will. I mean nothing against Kansas State, but when he had offers from, you know, some of the quote unquote recruiting blue bloods out there, you know, he still chose Kansas state. And so I do think that it wouldn't surprise me at all if there were, you know, still some feelings there for him, you know, with regard to the wildcats.
0: Yeah. And just to be clear, like, like you said, you know, I understand like these, these are just teenagers. They can change their mind. I'm not holding any animosity to those Edwards. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. He, he can do what he wants. And you know, I hope he does what's best for him. And I hope he has a successful career. Even though, you know, as a Winfield High School grad, I have a little bit of animosity third's derby because we mm-hmm. played in the league back in the day. But Same. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, JT knows. <laughs> but <laughs> it was completely unfair that we were in their league, honestly. But <laughs> I don't know, JT, how, how do you think that's received from the Kansas State perspective? You know, what, what's the take on that? I know you're more in touch with the recruiting side than I am.
1: I mean, I think... From what I understand, there's definitely more of a communication with Edwards back open now. I think there was some bad blood that came up because of how he handled the decommitment and the recommitment to Notre Dame and it it was, you know, it's kind of the way he had committed to K-State in the first place and some of the other actors around him had acted when he committed to K-State and then the decommitment and commitment to Notre Dame. Just kind of, you know, soured the waters a little bit there. And at, from what I've seen, it's, you know, K State's was was always open to him. You know, they just they needed him to make that effort again. You know, it's not just we're going to wait for you no matter what. It's like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna recruit other running backs and and we're gonna do our thing. And you know, we'd love to have you, but you've got to you've got to come back to us. And, and not like mean it or anything. You know, it's they're not trying to hold it against him, but just. You know, we we want players that want to be here and want to be Wildcats 100%. And, you know, if you're not sure, then you're not sure. And and we're going to, you know, just because you're a four-star running back doesn't mean that we're not going to, you know, keep looking around and, and just wishing and hoping and waiting that you'll pick us because they've been burned by that before. And in this day and age, you just can't wait for those guys. Like, you have to have guys lined up before the early signing period or you're getting, you know, you're you're rushing and you're getting guys that'll end up in the transfer portal by the end of the next year or, you know, within a couple of years because they were your third or fourth or fifth on the list and they're guys that you liked, but, you know, maybe are missing something that you, you know, really wanted in your, the, the first guy on your list, first and second guys on your list. So, but overall recruiting, you know, that's going back to, you know, what we, we've, we first started on here, like like recruiting kansas kids that's something i've long said is the biggest difference between k state and ku in the sunflower showdown is the sheer number of kansas kids on the roster at k state just whether they're starters or walk-ons there's just i mean there's so many more kansans on the roster that it means more to them i mean you look at at even the the best ku team of you know the last 30 years that 07 squad And some of the guys that were the starters and and team leaders of that, you know, Harry Meyer and Mike Rivera and and Jake Sharp, Daryl Stuckey. I mean, these are all Kansas guys. And that team was led by Kansas guys, and and it meant more to them. I mean, you you still got to fill in the holes with guys from Texas and California and and Florida and wherever. But the meat of the team's got to be Kansas kids for a school like K-State or KU. And KU just hasn't done that since... I and mean, really since Charlie Weiss. I mean, they've just like, nah, you know, we'll we'll get a Kansas kid here and there, but Yeah. You know, we want the Texas kids. We want,
2: you know, well, they we want... have a Louisiana pipeline for a little bit, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: but but no, like you, you think about like a Devin Neal, you know, you drop Devin Neal in Dallas, he's not thinking about Kansas. And right. you know, he's somebody that, you know, you or Kansas State for that matter, probably. and, and I thought one of the Geno assistants told me something that I thought was pretty prescient once where they said basically there weren't any kids they recruited from Texas who were all about the University of Kansas. They said, you know, they liked that we were a Big 12 school, that we gave them the opportunity to play in the Big 12. They might have liked that we were winning, you know, at the time, whatever. But they weren't in on the University of Kansas. And they felt like Kansas kids – You know, forget about this week, right, because both teams are going to try really hard. They're going to, you know, they've worked to get to this point and everything else. What he was saying was in the dog days of summer, right, when your strength coach is getting on you and you still got one more 100-meter dash to run and there's a temptation to run that thing at three-quarter speed, the Kansan tends to run it at full speed. And it's not because he's a harder-working kid. It's not because of any of those things because he doesn't want to go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and have people tell him about how he lost to his in-state rival. Yeah. And so it means more to those guys in the way that they prepare, the way that they lift weights. You know, the game just does mean more to those guys. You don't have to inform them, you know, Hey, it would be really important for you to beat Kansas or beat Kansas State. They already know, and they the last thing that, say, Alex Key, and I, I know he won't play probably on, on Saturday, but as a freshman from Derby, the last thing that Alex Key wants to do is go home for the holidays and have somebody in there whooping about, I can't believe you guys lost to Kansas this year.
0: It just means more. You sound like an SEC guy, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, wow, I've but... heard that a lot. <laughs> you
1: know for for somebody like Jared Casey, I mean literally have, you know, sure. somebody from the opposing team that's going to be, you know, at home with you. <laughs> Cuz uh, yep. uh Hayden Gilms also from Pl- from Plainville. So I mean I mean that that's going to be a, a town divided and you're going to hear about it. In a town like Plainville, Kansas, you're going to hear about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Plainville, it's, it's just a great name for a town, too, by the way. <laughs> but Anyway, also, yeah, I wanted to talk about Avery Johnson. We talked about him a little bit before we started recording. Kevin, I know you're really high on him. You know, what to you what stands out about him as a as a prospect quarterback?
2: Yeah, I, I think recruiting services have come a really long way since I first started. And I've told people before that I think Kerry Meyer would have been a four star prospect, you know, if we had been around and scouted in things the way that we do now, you know, just in terms of him being you know, a big-bodied guy who wound up being one of the five fastest guys at Kansas for his entire career. He could really throw it, all the different things that he could do. And one of the things that I told people after I saw Avery for the first time in person, and this was, I think, before his junior year, was I said, Avery Johnson's the best quarterback prospect since Kerry Meyer in the state of Kansas. And, and there have been... A few guys who have been highly regarded through there, you know, the different guys. I know Tyler Matthews, I think, got a four-star rating one year. You know, you Graham see Mertz. some different guys. In it. Yeah, Graham Mertz was another one. The kid who went to Carolina that I'm totally blanking on his name. And so, so yeah, I mean, you've, you've had some guys, but not anybody that I had seen like Avery. And at that point, Avery was still pretty raw. And, you know, especially as a thrower, he's a guy, it's hard to explain his running style to people. I say that he's a ballerina. And I think that a lot of times that gets taken negatively because people think about it like, you know, Oh, he's soft and he's not soft. I mean, he'll put his pads on somebody to finish a run if he needs to, but he's got so much hip and ankle and knee flexibility that he can just sort of dance out of situations. And and it's unbelievable to watch, The thing we were talking about beforehand is he has made such a huge leap from his junior year to his senior year as a thrower. I mean, it it is just – it's an unbelievable jump. And the story that I was telling, and I think the other thing that people need to know about Avery, he's maybe the best athlete playing quarterback in the entire country, you know, from a high Mm -hmm. school standpoint going into college. But the other thing they need to know is this kid is terrific intangibly. I mean, he's smart. Mm -hmm. He's a leader. He has all of those things that you want your quarterback to have. And and we really noticed that. We went and saw him working out at a quarterback workout with a local quarterback trainer, Justin Hoover, was a guy who trained Avery. And, and Avery came up from Mays to Kansas City to work with Justin Hoover. And they're finishing up their workout. And Hoover's about ready to call it. They're done with the workout. And Avery says, hold on a minute. I want to end on a perfect throw. And Hoover says, cool, you know, it's great to have that mentality, et cetera. And so they were going through, and and we wound up being there for 15 more minutes. And every time, you know, that he had a throw that looked good, you know, and Hoover's like, okay, I think that's the one Avery. Avery would say, ah, I pulled off it too soon, or I didn't get my hips around quite as much as I wanted. Like, he really wanted it to be. You know sort of those of us who have played baseball, I mean, you know what it feels like to connect on a baseball where you just hit that thing with everything you could possibly have, that's yeah, just, and the sound just wanted, it's a different yeah, sound too yeah, and he just wanted, he just wanted that he just wanted that kind of throw, and you know when he got it, he was like, "Okay, that's the one, but I think that that's the work ethic I think that he's gonna bring in, and one of the reasons you like a guy like that is maybe the face of your program moving forward. You know, Ryan Wallace went down with him on Decision Day and stuff, and he's throwing routes on Decision Day when he's announcing he's (laughs) going to K-State. Justin Stevens out there, and he's throwing routes, and he's working out and doing all of those things. And so he's he's the right kind of kid in addition to all that other stuff, too. And so I, I can't speak highly enough bravery. I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's a terrific kid and a really good leader, and I think he's going to be really successful at Kansas State. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's really exciting because JT, you know, we've talked about Will Howard. I guess he's going to end up burning his red shirt this year, but he's going to go to the NFL draft after next year anyway. So it's fine. Right. Right. <laughs> so he, yeah, plenty of opportunity, opportunity I love, for,
2: <laughs> for him to play. I, I love seeing this for Will Howard, though. Can I just say that? I mean, the guy, you know, I think you could see maybe even some similarities between he and Jalen Daniels in terms of guys who were maybe put into situations before they were ready, but the talent was apparent. And I think, you know, to see Will, you know, put it all together this year and be just as unbelievable as he has been, you know, it, I'm not going to lie. It, it warms my heart a little bit to see him have it the year that he's having.
0: Yeah. So, all right, well, we're going pretty long here, and I feel like this has been too nice of a podcast for when we're talking about the showdown. Uh, so, Kevin, I got to tell you, I think Kansas State wins this by at least three touchdowns this Saturday. So tell me why, you know, maybe KU could get closer.
2: You know, I don't know that it will be. You, know I, I know, you want some anim- I know, I know you want some animosity. You want me to get up and be like, oh, you know, you sons of whatevers, you know, that I can't believe, you know, you don't think that this thing is going to be incredibly close. And maybe you'll disagree with what I have to say here. Obviously Kansas wants to win the game. I'm not saying Kansas doesn't, but if Kansas keeps this thing close, if Kansas loses this game by seven or 10, if Kansas covers, I guess you would say like that's a Kansas victory, right? Like heading into next year with how many guys that they have returning, I mean, they can return 10 out of their 11 starters on offense next year, and they can return the bulk of their defense. I think somebody had said that, and things have changed since then, but they had 56 players on their first two deep that they released before the first game. I think 49 of those guys were guys that could come back to Kansas for another season. And they've had one or two of those guys, you know, transfer out or they're leaving or whatever else. But the bottom line is that a lot of those guys can come back. With next year's game going to Lawrence, I look at this a little bit like the 2003 game, maybe a little bit. Where, you know, you think of the 2002 game, that was bitter cold. Kansas State wins 64 to nothing. You know, famously, infamously, however you want to put it, K State puts defensive starters back in after KU oh, crosses the field. That was fun.
0: I was there. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and then, and then the and then the next game. You know, I think K State led KU like seven to three through a quarter, and Bill Whittemore gets hurt, and K State winds up winning. You know, like forty to ten or somewhere around there. But like they showed enough in that one quarter. I feel like where Kansas came out of that, where they were like. Are these guys better than us? Yeah, maybe, but it's not as big as it was. And then 2004 happens where K-State drops off, I think it is a fair way to put that. You know, Kansas probably elevates and gets a little bit better, and Kansas winds up breaking that streak. And so while Kansas wants to win this game and, and, you know, it's if KU loses this thing by seven, it's not like they're going to be in the locker room, like holding up their own version of the governor's trophy or anything like that. But if they are able to hang around and stay close and and make this a thing where people don't come out of it saying, man, Kansas State is a lot better football team. I think that's almost a victory for Kansas in, in sort of its own way. I do think, you know, it's probably going to get away from Kansas. I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of the reasons why. I think Kansas State's a really tough matchup for Kansas. I mean you're you're asking Kansas to stop a running game that Kansas really isn't equipped to stop. And you're asking if Kansas' defense is asking the same questions it asks every week then. Kansas is hoping that Kansas State isn't going to execute well and is going to make mistakes, and Kansas State doesn't make a ton of mistakes and doesn't fail to execute that much. And so it just seems like a really tough situation, I think. Kansas would have to play its absolute best game of the season, and I think Kansas State would maybe have to you know, play a, a B or a C game in order for Kansas to pull this thing out. Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, I was at two thousand four game too in Lawrence. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. I went to with a KU friend and sat next to the KU band. It was horrible. That was <laughs> that
2: was a, a wild deal, and uh, it was actually a, a time when I saw somebody suffer a compound fracture like up close. It was Oof. that was pretty awful. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, like they tried to open up the fences so people could come in from the hill to tear down the goalposts and all that stuff at the end. I just want to. But do they it weren't doing. Uh. They, they weren't. They weren't doing it fast enough, and so somebody tried to like <laughs> climb over the fence. Except then they fell like the ten feet down to the ground, and oh, it was it was brutal. <laughs> Man, it, it Man, was stop. it was a it was a brutal deal. But no, I, okay. I I think it's as much as you want me to you know maybe drop an f bomb or two here you know and. Show guys, <laughs> no. that, are being really mean to Kansas or whatever else? You know, it's, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to get there this year. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter, at KFlurry247. Um, and even if you aren't going to follow him, I, I just looked at your cover photo, and uh, that's great. I, I, I like that a lot. <laughs> people should check that out. <laughs> but yeah, two four seven know, sports dot com. Um, anything else that that you want to promote while you're here?
2: No, no, I, I don't think so. You know, thanks for having me on. You know, guys, really, uh, really appreciate it. I think it's probably the first time in in four or five years, at least. You know, since we've done at least the football side of it, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, so it's uh, it's really really nice to have things where people are caring about both sides and everything. And and I uh, I hope that this is is sort of the start of, of maybe the Sunflower Showdown getting a little bit more competitive.
1: Yeah, so I hope the, not, the last time maybe. I was this pumped about a KUK State game was 2009.
2: Yeah, it's been a really long time.
0: <laughs> All right, well, yeah, you know, have fun Saturday. So thanks, Kevin, for coming on. Thanks, JT.
2: Oh, so, yeah. Yep.